The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Because as I was preaching and as I was thinking and praying, even uh, as I was up here earlier, it dawned on me why Paul was, was writing this again in this section. And I had missed something. And I want us to touch on it this morning together. The gist is still going to be Paul's, uh, Paul's hammering home again and again and again the theological truth of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. That it is a one-time act of God's free grace by which he declares us righteous in his Son. Not based on anything that we have done, but based on everything that Christ has done on our behalf. And that that doctrine of justification by faith alone uh, is a, a doctrine. It is a truth. And you may go, oh gosh, doctrine, I just want you to give me Jesus. Folks, I've said it before and I'll say it again and again. I don't know how to give you Jesus without giving you a theological doctrine without giving you a theological framework by which I understand him and the scriptures present him. Well, Bill, I just want to know how to go to heaven. Well, okay, then you need to know justification by faith alone in Christ alone. You need to know what happens in that transaction between God the Father and God the Son, God the Spirit, and the individual. That you need to know those things so that you can be convinced and assured of your salvation. And Paul was was teaching on this and teaching on this and teaching on this. Almost to the point of redundancy in writing this letter. And a word jumped out at the end of chapter 3, and then now beginning in chapter 4, that struck me. And that word is boasting. In verse 27 of chapter 3, Paul, who had just been saying that we are righteous by God, uh, of God, through faith in his son. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? And then again, over in chapter four, beginning there, he says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham and our father according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And so this morning, we're going to take this truth and apply it in a way that should, hopefully, once and for all, deconstruct the framework by which you boast in anything other than Christ and His completed work on your behalf. Because a church comprised of individuals who are convinced Uh, That there is no way for me to save myself. uh, That there is not a chance of me doing anything on my own uh, to gain uh, salvation in Christ. Uh, That it is all by His work on my behalf, given to me freely as a gift, even while I was still a sinner, lost and vile and in opposition to Him. And all of that truth... He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf that I would then become the righteousness of God. If we are a collection of people who believe that truth, then we should be the most humble, the most generous, the most gracious collected group of people in all of the world. Because we have nothing on our own upon which to stand. 
that we can then go into areas, that we can then be compelled uh, to minister in Christ's name, uh, that we can not demand our rights. We can say for maybe the first time in our lives, I forgive you. I won't demand a, I won't demand a pound of flesh for this one, but I will actually forgive and not hold deep and bitter resentment from years and years ago. That I can even forgive myself. That I can repent more quickly. Because of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and His righteousness given to me, that I now stand as a saint before God, declared that by Him, not a perception, not a perspective, but a true identity, that that is who I am. And if I know that, and that I know that my sins have been forgiven by Christ when I didn't merit any forgiveness at all, then maybe for the first time in my life, I can forgive somebody else, and I can be honest about my own heart. That I can say, I, I blew it. That I can say, I'm not perfect. I'm I'm in need of this same gospel. And then it drives us through humility into incredible joy. I hope you saw and, and sensed the words of the hymns and the songs that we sang. What joy and surprise. Oh, grace and peace. You can just think about when that was written. The light of a candle sitting and pinning grace and peace. Oh, how can this be that lawbreakers and thieves, that we, the vilest of these, could be reconciled to you? And it just takes root in you. It just takes root in you. And it changes you somehow. And that's what I think Paul was really hit getting at. That he was saying, folks, you need to know this truth. It is uh, the linchpin. It is the key to which all of your theology turns. It is your justification in Christ Jesus, that gift that is from him, that everything else is built upon, is spun around, that, that it is your hope in that. And if you don't get this right, if, if this foundational piece isn't right, then you may go for some time and be okay. But as you continue to try to build upon it and build upon it and build upon it, your theological framework, your life will get out of skew and eventually will topple over. It cannot handle the weight of it. And that's why it's so important for some of you who were involved in a ministry called Reform University Fellowship, our denomination's ministry on the college campuses. Part of their philosophy of ministry says this, that most of the issues, if not all of them, that students are wrestling with come down either to a misunderstanding and misapplication of justification or a misunderstanding and misapplication of sanctification. Either the kids or young adults are trying to save themselves or they're trying to perfect themselves. And they've missed it at some level at a very deep root place. And so Paul comes back. And he's making a powerful legal argument, going and bringing witnesses from all the way in the Old Testament and saying to the hearers and to us today, get this right. Get this right. And you will find that if you boast at all, you'll boast in Christ alone and what he has done. Let's pray. Father, we come and we, we thank you.
We thank you for your word. And we ask now that you would bless it and that you would pour out your spirit and that you would minister through it to our hearts and that we with great humility would not stand above it, but that we would bend the knee to it and that we would hear and we'd be willing to receive. To you be all the glory and honor. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4. We'll be looking at the first 12 verses today. This is God's very word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our father according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who has works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. To the one who does not do work, uh, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteous would be counted to that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It's the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Praise be to God. Amen. So, just a couple of things this morning, and we are going to only touch on these, because we've said them before and over and over. But I imagine if Paul was writing it and saying it and saying it over and over and over again, there was a reason for that. And the reason most likely was that justification, this, this theology, this understanding of what happens in the transaction of the cross for the believer is so misunderstood that it needs to be clarified over and over again. You've got to make sure you get this right is basically what Paul was saying. And he begins by saying this, Justification is by faith alone. It is by faith alone. And you remember the audience to whom he was preaching and writing. Well, he was writing, wasn't preaching, but he was writing. It was an audience that was comprised in large part by Jewish believers. Those who had grown up with the Torah, those who knew the history of Israel, those who knew uh, the Hebrew traditions. Abraham was an incredibly important figure in their lives. And David, the king, the root of Jesse, he was an incredibly important person in their eyes. That a lot of their, their foundational theology was driven by their understanding of him. And so Paul writes, and he goes, I'm going to use these two guys as an example to prove to you that your theological presuppositions are wrong. He says, I want you to recognize that you are building your life on wrong truths on wrong facts, 
on incorrect assumptions. And if you continue to do that, not only will you not be blessed in this life, but you will face an eternity where you will not be blessed ever. And so it's the same with us today. That what the scripture and what the Lord is saying to us today is this, folks, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. That salvation comes not by anything that you've done. Do you agree with that? Would we as a church say that that is one of the foundational truths and values uh, that we build everything around? It has to be. And if that's the truth, it motivates all that we do. How we go out. How we love one another. How we spend our resources. Why we're doing this thing on uh, Friday night uh, with fifth quarter uh, is informed by our view of justification. And you may go, how? Well, I'm not exactly sure how a mechanical bull that we're renting uh, is driven by justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But I will say this. We want every kid, regardless of color, regardless of socioeconomic background, regardless of of educational background, we want every single kid on this island in Bluffton to show up at this church on Friday night. We want them here because we believe that they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want the kids who do drugs. We want the kids who have premarital sex. We want the kids uh, who drink. Uh, We want the kids who smoke cigarettes. We want the kids who are wonderful, godly Christian kids to come uh, to the church. We want wonderfully little moral kids uh, to come to the church. We want them all right here on Friday night. You want to know why? Because we believe this, that God can do that in the life of a child. And that that teenager could be forever changed in that moment. Because it's God who's at work to do his good pleasure in you. And then if a teenager comes to faith in Jesus Christ and then goes home and his parents go, so how was it? Well, mom and dad, let me tell you. I rode a mechanical bull. It was fun. Uh, I ate a bunch of pizza. I listened to a band. I drank a bunch of Coca-Cola. I'm sugared up uh, and I'm not going to be able to go to sleep anytime soon. But let me tell you what happened today. I heard about this most amazing truth. But I know that I can be assured that all of my sins are forgiven and that Jesus Christ took them upon himself and that I believed tonight this truth and I know that I'm going to heaven and mom and dad, I want you to know something. I want you to be in heaven with me. So can I tell you this? And you can see through a silly mechanical bull and a bunch of teenagers gathering on a Friday night after a football game that we believe that God, based on nothing in those young men's and women's lives, can change lives. And that's why we're going to do what we're going to do. It informs everything about what we want to do here. And Paul is going, it's never, ever, ever been based on your works. Because you see, there was an argument within the Jewish church and an argument within Judaism in general that said Abraham was saved by his righteousness. He was saved by his works. That God saw that he was righteous. God saw that he would obey. And therefore God saved him. What Paul is saying is just the opposite. Paul goes back and he says, folks, let me explain to you. Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. Would you agree with that? And Paul's going, listen. The covenant promises were extended to Abraham in Genesis 15. 
that there was this incredible thing. I don't have time to tell you all about it. We've talked about it before. But there was this incredible thing that happened and, and where God took Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to do all of this for you and we're going to make a covenant together and we're going to do what we normally would with a covenant ceremony. We're going to take bulls and rams and we're going to split them and they're going to be bloody and it's going to be a nasty mess and here's what's going to happen. I'm the king. You're not the king and I promise to bless you if you obey and keep all of your promises to me and I'll keep mine to you but if you break any of your promises to me if you in your behavior your thoughts anything that you step aside from me and you serve some other king in any way shape or form what happened to these bulls I'm going to do to you my wrath is going to come down on you and you're going to be split and your blood is going to be uh, poured out and it was gruesome and it was this thing and you go wow that was pretty impressive and everyone goes see Abraham did it Abraham did it do you remember where Abraham was within the midst of that thing going on? He was asleep on the side, leaning up against a rock. And what God did was he went to his son, Jesus, and he said something like this. Son, you see that man sitting over there? We're going to bless him. And he's going to get all the covenant blessings. He's going to get all of my love. I'm going to take care of him and his seed, and I'm going to take care of them for all eternity but he needs someone to be perfect in his place. And he needs someone to bear the weight of his imperfections. I've got to split someone. My wrath has to fall on someone. And Christ said, it'll be me. And so while Abraham was asleep, the Lord walked through. And basically what the covenant says is this. My son, based on his works, and his righteousness will be bloodied on your behalf. He will be split on your behalf. Because you could never gain it on your own. Abraham never would have thought that he gained it on his own. Ever. And then a couple of chapters later, the Lord said, I'm now going to mark you. I'm going to mark you with the sign of circumcision. And I'm going to mark you in this way. And then you're going to mark all of those uh, who are in your households. Your children, your slaves, all of those who are in your household, they're going to be marked with the same mark. And this mark of circumcision is going to show this. It is going to be a covenant sign and seal that says this, I, the Lord, your God, am faithful to my covenant promises. And one day, my son, he's going to be circumcised. He's going to be cut off. And blood will be spilled so that you get engrafted in. And so Abraham's like, awesome. And you see, the sign, the covenantal sign, was never about the faith of the individual. It was always about the faithfulness of God and His covenant promises. And so it's this beautiful thing that was happening. And so what we see here and what Paul is teaching us in the first part of Romans 4 is that justification is always, always by faith, not by works. He says, you see, that no one works and gain salvation. And you need to hear that. You need to understand that. You need to understand that uh, you now, because of the completed work of Jesus Christ, this is how God views you, and this is what he declares you. You are a saint. Do you believe that about yourself? Honestly, when you woke up this morning, I say it, it's, it's mirror theology, folks. When you woke up, you walked into the bathroom and you looked in that big mirror. Did you just bask in the glory of your sainthood? 
I mean, really, didn't you? I mean, it's awesome. I sometimes don't even want to leave the mirror because I just go, this is so good. Look at that saint staring back at me. Dang, he's handsome. And man, I hope I have more hair when I finish this ministry than Clint does when he, he left. Uh, uh, it's just... No, I look at it and all I see are imperfections. But God says of you, you're perfect. You're holy. I declare you that way. And I'm the God of the universe. And I'm the judge of all things. So what I say goes. So here's the deal. All of you who believe and have faith in my son. Here's what I'm telling you about you. And I want you to hear it. And I want you to believe it. And I want you to live as if it's true every single day. You are mine. And you're perfect. And don't you believe anything else about it. I want you to go out today in that confidence. I want you to go out today in that assurance that based on absolutely nothing in you, I know all your foibles. I know all of your shortcomings. I know what you're going to do. I get it. But I determined to love you because I determined to love you. And what I say goes, is that okay with you? And you know our only response? Yeah, that's okay. And then you know what you got to say to your heart that doesn't believe it? Heart, start believing this thing. Emotions, get in line with the reality of what my God just told me about myself. And then guess what? If there are other people in this room who declare that and they believe that they are also Christians, guess how you should view them? The same way God does. Instead of pointing out everything that's frail in them and fallen in them and broken in them, maybe we should begin to relate to one another I think our Heavenly Father relates to us. And we should look at one another and we should see in that other person sainthood and glory and holiness and beauty. We should see the glimpses of glory in somebody else instead of pointing out, really, that's what you wore today. Of all the opportunities you had to color coordinate, that's what you wore today. Or that person didn't say hello to me. They aren't a nice person. Or, well, goodness gracious, they looked at me funny, therefore, and you just impugn upon other people all kinds of terrible things instead of maybe approaching one another like this. I know I didn't deserve God's love, but I got it. You don't deserve mine, but I'm going to give it to you because it's not based on you. And so I'm going to love you well. I'm going to treat you with dignity and respect. I'm going to care for your needs over and against my own. Because this doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, compels me to do that. I had a great dad. I know I talk about him a lot. But I had a great dad. But I still don't remember, except in one letter that I received when I was 22 years old, my dad ever repenting of anything. You know what the gospel of grace does? It allows you to repent. It allows you to admit, I blew it, honey. Sweetheart, I blew it. Buddy, daddy loves you. And I want to be a man that you can follow, but I want you to also follow me to my knees where I find my power in this grace that's come to me through Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. And Paul keeps saying it over, <clears throat> over, and over again, he's saying, there's nothing for us then to boast in. 
Because you see, God imputes to us. Big word there he uses from David in chapter uh, in 32, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This idea of imputation, he's basically saying this, I consider you righteous because at the end of the day, McCutcheon, your debt is paid in full. You owe me nothing more. There's nothing more to pay. And I'm a just judge. And therefore, I do not believe in double jeopardy. And I will not try you twice for the same crime. But I have tried my son. And he has been found guilty of your sin. And you now receive his righteousness. He stands condemned so that you don't. And when I see you, I see my son in whom I am well pleased. And I want you to know something. How blessed is the man or woman? How blessed is the person in whom the Lord does not count their iniquity? Isn't that good news? Because I know this about me today. I've already messed up and I'm going to mess up again. Satan has an incredible ability. If you don't believe that Satan is a supernatural being who has the ability to go back and know your full record, you are misunderstanding the evil one. Because he has this ability. And even this morning as I was preparing, he said this, Bill, really? This is what you're going to preach on. Don't you remember losing your temper this week? Don't you remember how you yelled this week at those that you love? Don't you remember how, how you were frustrated? Don't you remember how you had those thoughts? Don't you remember uh, those emotions? Don't you remember these things? Don't you remember those things? And I run to David. How blessed am I? As a man whose iniquities are not counted against me. But they're counted to Christ. I look at him. Go, he was perfect. I'm the one who messed up. And yet he took it. And he was cut off. So that I never would be. That's good news, folks. That's really good news. Because I've heard about this I believe it's mythological. It's called a title to a house. That somehow if you pay everything that your house is owed, you get this piece of paper. I've heard that they're there. I've never seen them. I've never held one. But I keep hoping one day that that'll happen. Christ is going, Bill, I paid your debt. You get to hold the title now. And it says of you, Bill McCutcheon, Paid in full. Wouldn't that change you? Wouldn't that change you? If you realized it was never about your striving. Wouldn't you maybe for the first time in your life quit striving and know that I'm God? Rest in me. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I know we're running over by a minute. But let me ask you this, honest, this is an honest moment. Are any of you tired of trying to be good, to meet a reputation that you've created or that someone's created for you? Anybody? Few of you. I relate with you really well. I was a preacher's kid, and I had to try to be good. I had to try to be my daddy's boy. I, I was... 
I was then a good student. And professors said, hey, you got to do this. Then I wanted to create uh, this whole persona of myself that was crazy and wild and doing all these crazy things. And all of a sudden, I had to live up to that reputation. And then even after I became a Christian in ministry, I remember I being introduced one time. And they said, hey, this is Bill McCutcheon. He's our new singles pastor. He's going to be a rising star in our denomination. And just watch him go. And I was crushed under the weight of that reputation of trying to be something that I never could attain. And I was so tired, and I was so worn out, and my marriage was so tired, and it was so worn out, and I wore my wife out, and I wore my kids out, and I wore the church out, and I wore everybody else out, and I'm sitting there just going, holy cow. And Christ comes, and he says, hey, McCutcheon, hey, you who's sitting there today, Relax. Let me live through you. You don't have to be anything that you're not. But know who you are. You're mine. And I got you. I saved you. I purchased you. And I will never, ever lose you. So relax. And take a deep breath. And quit wearing everybody out. You know? Still wrestle with. But there is a freedom that comes in the knowledge of who you are in Jesus Christ. And what Paul says is you won't boast in yourself anymore. What you'll say is everything that I have is an absolute gift of a generous Father in heaven. Any good that I do, any blessing that I am, it's a gift from one. Because I know me and you know you, and you know me, and I know you. So therefore, maybe we should be honest and say this. Let's just live honest together and trust in God and quit all the boasting and come to him with incredible humility and know this. Folks, your God loves you today. He loves you so much that he sent his son Christ into the world. And some of you need to hear that today and you need to lay down all of your strivings. And you need to, for the first time, look to Him in faith and believe what is being offered to you today. And today, your life will be changed. Your identity will be changed. You will forever be changed in that moment. So as I pray and invite the team to come up, I'm going to pray for you that if the Lord is doing that in your life, that you would pursue. Because I promise you, He is pursuing you this morning. Would you believe in him in faith? Would you give your life to him today? And at this moment, know that in him you will walk out of this place different than you walked in. Your standing is different. Who you are is different. Your hope and your future are different because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, we come and we acknowledge that we want to believe these things. They sound so good, but they're so hard. And I pray now that you would penetrate into the depths of our hearts. And for those who think that they can earn heaven and earn you and earn life on their own, Father, would you finally convince them today to lay down all of their tryings, all of their strivings, and they would see Christ who's done it on their behalf, and that they would believe in him. For others who, who are trying to maintain that you, 
They believe that you got them out of the gate and they're running really well, but now they've got to keep it up on the gerbil wheel. They've got to keep striving now, and they've got to keep it up because now you got them going in salvation, but they've got to maintain it. Father, I pray that you would help them to cease striving and to know that that which you began, you will complete in Christ Jesus, and that you've never lost, nor will you ever lose one of your own. And Father, for those of us who know Christ, would we lay aside all boasting, and would we celebrate in our humility, would we celebrate in our brokenness, would we celebrate the beauty of what has happened to us, and would we see that it is a gift that we are to give away freely and indiscriminately to all who would hear. Would we be a joyful people going out from this place, celebrating the goodness of our God, boasting in Him alone, to Christ be the glory. Amen.